You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. class the podcast that not only dreams of electric sheep but also electric chickens electric cows just really a whole buzzy zappy electric farm i'm megan i'm rj i have my hand in a toaster <laughs> you're not even so you're not even dreaming of the electric things you're living the dream you're you're chasing your dreams yeah why by shoving your hand in them and your dreams are a toaster Today is a very important and auspicious episode for us. Do you know why, RJ? I mean, I, I know it's a shot in the dark here, but do you have an idea why? It's the Ides of March? No, because it's, well, I mean, it's January as we're recording this, but this is coming out on February 1st. The 1st oh. of February. Is that, does that ring a bell? Is that familiar to you? February Fool's Day. Yes. That day in February where you trick people, like we tricked you into listening to this podcast for a whole year. Yay! Here, you gotta do it with me here. That, that's yeah, that's like at least seven months longer than I've been listening. <laughs> you gotta make the noise with me. Boom. Boom, boom. I'm loving your enthusiasm. Boom. That's all RJ2 can muster. You know what? That's fair. Because honestly, we've had kind of a rough beginning to 2018 between RJ's nope. love. What? Nope. What? We're not talking about the murder, Megan. <laughs> We're not oh, talking about the there's murder. There's a gag order. You killed up, the first RJ. Yes, that is the fiction. You're, you're long up and quit on you. And I got Mad Maxed beyond Thunderdomed. I got, I got Fury Roaded. Yeah, and you took it like a bitch. I did. I took it. I took, yeah, it, I, I, took, I took it from both ends, yeah. as it were. Yeah. So basically, 2018 is like some Final Destination shit out for our lives. So if you don't hear an episode after this one, it's pretty safe to assume that we've been kidnapped by like Jigsaw and put into one of his murder puzzles. But nonetheless, we soldier on and we are celebrating one solid year of literary nonsense and knowledge and just pure filth with a little bit of financial advice that too and it's really cool honestly like it's it the fact that we have an audience of people many of whom we don't know who listen to the show is very awesome and the people that we do know who listen are also very cool and it's just like kind of shocking to me that we that this became a thing and that we stuck with it and that it's still going to be a thing, and it's uh, provided we don't get kidnapped by Jigsaw. And, you know, I just wanted to take a moment to sincerely say thank you. It's really awesome. Larger, you want to say anything? I can already hear the radio's getting turned off. Wow, harsh. Okay, fine. I'm done. Sappy moment over. On with the episode. So, obviously, because it is our super special one-year anniversary, we got to do a super special thing here um you know and we started our first episode with william shakespeare's macbeth and so rj so you want to tell the people what we're doing for this episode although i guess if they read the title and like the information they already know but sure go ahead <laughs> they might know more than me i don't think he told me i always tell you you just don't listen we've we've established right. that we have that I'm recorded gonna, i'm gonna proof. take some guesses at what i think he told me okay here we go Tinnitus Androgynous? No. Good, good try. Christopher Titus and the Andromeda Strain? Okay, we're getting further away now. We were closer the first time. The Trident Adventure? What was that? The Trident Adventure. What the fuck is the Trident Adventure? Fuck if I know. <laughs> Trying to understand words that come out of your mouth after you've been Mad Maxed from both ends. <laughs> That's fair. So what is it we're doing? We are doing Titus... Andronicus. Yeah, tinnitus Andronus. Close enough. Yeah. 
Androgynous. <laughs> so on the continuum of well-known Shakespeare plays, at one end, we've got things like Macbeth, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet. On the other end, we've got shit like Measure by Measure, The Merry Wives of Windsor, A Winter's Tale, and Titus Andronicus. And um, so yeah, I would imagine that most people have not heard of this one or been subjected to it or understand what makes it just so very special in the canon of Shakespeare plays. I, in fact, also did not have to read it. Like, we did an entire semester of Shakespeare, and I, I own the horrifying doorstop Shakespeare compendium that you could beat a man to death with, and we didn't, my, my Shakespeare professor was like, no, we're not touching that one. So of course I read it. And, oof. I mean, for starters, most, like, Shakespeare scholars and stuff debate about whether or not Shakespeare even wrote Titus Adronicus because it's just so fucking batshit insane that they don't even want to attribute it to him. It is considered by most professional Shakespeare people to be one of Shakespeare's worst plays. And, like, critically speaking, by today's standards, apparently it was pretty popular back in the day. It's definitely his most violent and insane, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to that uh, later, but uh, RJ. What's up? Well, I don't know what you want to step in with here. All right, so I guess we're going to return to the world of Big Willie Shakespeare. Oh, Big Willie boy. The boy who rose from nothing to get one of history's most bitching earrings that will be immortalized forever. For evs. Along the way, he maybe wrote some things, or maybe he didn't write anything at all. Shrug, refer to episode 17, The Big Willy Conspiracy. Then again, can any of us really write anything? I mean, really, write. Or are we just mere physical vessels, cataloging, ephemeral, disembodied poetry that floats around us before it decides to speak through our fleshy bodies? A wow. question. That, that, that was kind of beautiful, RJ. A question <laughs> for another time. But for now, Dateline, England. Late 16th century, specifically around 1594. The state would put us at the fairly early stages of Big Willie's career. As we have discussed on our previous Shakespeare episodes, historians kind of had to cobble everything together about Shakespeare from secondary sourcage, sources. Sourcage. <laughs> sources. Sources, which are not always the most reliable. But the most preeminent scholars that I can find seem to agree that the only Shakespeare plays that clearly predate Titus Adronicus are the three parts of Henry VI, Richard III, and A Comedy of Errors. While some scholars argue that some other lesser celebrated Shakespeare works may have predated Tinnitus, it seems that no one believes Shakespeare's heavy hitters like Romano and Juliet. Oh my god. <laughs> Actually, that'd be pretty good, right? <laughs> Romano and Juliet. I, except I don't think either of us can do a credible Ray Romano impression. It's me, Ray Romano. Oh, wow. Hey, hey it's Raymond. <laughs> Wait, we could do Raymond's brother. <laughs> right. so. You got, you got Romano and Juliet, Julius Caesar, and of course, The Winter's Tale, a tale about a time-traveling horse starring Colin Farrell. None of those predated Titus. I hate that. I'm so angry right now. <laughs> what? That's The Winter's Tale. No, that's not Shakespeare's Winter's Tale, but it, I mean, you're no, not No, I wrong. don't know that. So the big Willie who wrote Titus was not even big Willie. He was just moderately sized Willie at the time. Regular Willie. A soon-to-be grower. But not yet a shower. Gross. This is important to note because, as happens with Shakespeare, people have speculated that moderately sized Willie did not write Titus Andronicus, or at least he did not write it alone. Generally, the scholars who want to say this is not really one of Shakespeare's is because they argue it's just so bad, as Bacon said. And by bad, they tend to mean grotesque. Starting in the late 18th century, through until about 30 years ago or so, critics slammed Titus. In 1765, Samuel Johnson said the play is barbaric and can, quote, scarcely be conceived tolerable by any audience. T.S. Eliot referred to the play as, quote, one of the stupidest and most uninspired plays ever written. Well, T.S. Eliot was also a prick and an anti-Semite, but sure. However, despite being a much maligned play throughout most of its existence, all the evidence we have points to it being very popular at the time it was initially performed. 
Uh, people were, like, violent back in them medieval times, what with their bear baiting and their stone chucking and such. Well, yeah, maybe it shouldn't be a shock. This is, at the end of the day, what we would refer to as a revenge play. And revenge plays were all the rage in the late 16th century and early 17th century. And it was normal for those plays to have ghosts to talk to living people to tell them to get revenge, to have themes of madness or murder and even cannibalism. So you see... That South Park episode where Cartman fed Scott oh, Tennerman God. the you remnants. That, that's got to be like 20 years old by now. You realize that, right? Yeah. <laughs> that episode wasn't even novel. So while The Simpsons may not have done it first, a whole bunch of 16th century English plays had already done it. Oh, no, the class. Here to remind you, as always, that William Shakespeare was basically the Michael Bay of Elizabethan England. No, we're going to get to that guy. Uh, anyway. We are? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It wasn't Shakespeare. Shakespeare wrote Romano and Juliet. <laughs> That's not Michael Bay at all. Mm. Anyway, eventually Titus did fall out of flavor with uh, um, true literary critics. Like a hundred years after Big Willie was dead. Maybe they wanted to remember him as a wise, refined playwright and not a guy who dealt with this kind of stuff. Although I feel like we keep saying over and over without kind of context that it's grotesque and that it's cruel. Like, it's hard to explain just without, you know, having to go into the play, which we will, just how batshit the violence is in this play. Like in Hamlet and Macbeth, they are certainly violent plays. A great many characters die horribly, but... Titus Andronicus is like the Shakespeare equivalent of like a schlocky, low-budget slasher flick, like complete with fucked up rape stuff. But so even though Titus is no longer shunned um, and it's no longer an ignored Shakespeare work, a good number of critics still argue that the play was at least in part written by the guy by the name of George Peel. And they do have a pretty compelling argument that Big Willie may have worked with Peel on Titus. So George Peel was like the late 16th century amalgamation of Quentin Tarantino and M. Night Shyamalan. Maybe wow. Michael Bay. Okay. That, he, that actually fits in with the Quentin Tarantino thing I'm going to talk about later, so sure. <laughs> he was all about the bloody spectacle. Additionally, he was the guy who wrote the poem Farewell to Arms that has been the touchstone for other writers like Ernest Hemingway, who invokes the poem in the title of one of his books. So even though you might not know George Peel, you might know George Peel. You might know the farewell to his arms. To give you an idea about... George Peel and his work, let me briefly summarize one of his plays, The Battle of Alcazar. So you got the king of Morocco whose nephew is trying to steal the throne from him. The nephew kills one of the king's brothers, as well as his own two brothers who were princes. Okay. You then have the king of Portugal who says, hey, I support your coup. Let me help you out because I think you're doing an honorable thing. Okay. But then you got a king from another kingdom who supports the actual king of Morocco. A huge war happens. The king of Morocco is killed in battle, but his death is hidden from everyone. So the motivation of his troops doesn't drop. And this actually works because his troops still win the war, even though the king's dead. And during that war, the king of Portugal dies. The evil nephew's killed. And a new king is named that actually happens to be the original king's off-screen brother who swoops in and saves the day. The end. Okay, I lost you like three kings ago. Yeah, so I, I need, death, I need, death, to, make, I need to make a chart. Yeah, just death, 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 death. Off-screen brother. Mm. So this George Peel guy has the taste for blood and action and drama and most importantly, revenge. But that's not the only reason why scholars think him and Big Willie collaborated. Collaborated? You're just making up <laughs> words left and right. Just like Big Willie Shakespeare. Of course. Collaborated on Titus. Warning, things are about to get nerdy. Oh, God. Oh, dear God. So critics have turned to science to turn writing into data points. For example, they can look at how many words have feminine endings or how many polysyllabic words are used, the rate of which alliteration is used, as a tell by some. They could look at the use of conjunctions, and of course, they could look at the use of meter throughout a play as some sort of measuring stick. In short, there have been no fewer than six different scientific dissections of Titus Andronicus, and unequivocally, the results of those dissections lead credence to the opinion that George Peel wrote the entirety of Act 1. He wrote Act 2, Scene 1, and Act 4, Scene 1. That all six different studies all came to that conclusion. 
All right, well then, Shakespeare still wrote the best part of the play in Act 5, Scene 1, and we'll get to that. That is actually really interesting, though. Like, how has that not come into play in solving this whole, did Shakespeare write Shakespeare shit? Well, so some scholars argue against the data. They, they don't like people moneyballing Shakespeare. <laughs> well, they say because the s- assumptions of the study are that what they do is they compare Shakespeare's later writing that Shakespeare uses, you know, alliteration every 3.8 lines, but right. here it's being used 2.7 lines. Well, what you're then doing is you're assuming that he should have written the same way across his entire career. Mm. This is particularly, though, early Shakespeare, and it's an early work, and so maybe his writing habits changed over time that you don't necessarily write the same in each and every individual work. The pushback against it is, yeah, but in these other acts that they're saying aren't Shakespeare happen to fit in with what we would actually expect of Shakespeare. Right. So people push back and forth on. However, what these critics overlook is at the time of Shakespeare and Peele, a lot of people were actually collaborating all the time. It was actually pretty normal for people to sit around and work together. And so it would be pretty strange if Big Willie never actually collaborated with someone on something at some point during his career because everyone else was doing it. Now, some background on the play itself. None of the characters seem to have ever existed, unlike Shakespeare's other plays based on Romans. And the time the play is placed in never really existed either. For example, the play itself says the events take place during the time of Theodosius, around 370 AD. Dear Theodosius, what to say to you? (laughs) But within the play, the characters refer to Brutus, Tarquin, and Lucretia. These characters also refer to the emperor as Caesar. The thing is, Julius Caesar and the people beginning to refer to the emperor Rome as a Caesar did not happen until nearly 200 years later after the age of Theodosius. God, what an idiot. In short, no, this is not a historical drama. Or at least isn't ripped off of a historical drama as many of his plays are. Well, (laughs) the play is also seemingly heavily based on Ovid's Metamorphosis, which was written around 8 AD. The narrative poem is featured in Titus itself as characters explicitly refer to it. So if he's referencing it, is he really ripping it off? Well, in Metamorphosis, specifically in the sixth book, Ovid writes about the rape of Philomena. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's going in when we talk about the actual plot. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. They talk about Metamorphosis in the play. The play that Shakespeare wrote plays out exactly... Like, things play out in Metamorphosis. Which is actually, like, a key plot point in the play, which I know might sound a little bit confusing, but it'll make sense when we get there. In short, as we've seen before, like with Macbeth, Shakespeare cribs a lot of his stuff from earlier works, but then again, imitation is the best form of flattery, or so I'm told. This brings me to this week's episode of Financing with RJ's Tidbit. Okay. It's only Tidbit. Okay. Copyrights. Protect your work. Wait, is that... Is that really a financing with RJ? Or is that intellectual property with RJ? I'm protecting your money and your work. Okay. So don't let some small-timing little Willie come crib your work. Take credit for your ideas and stories. And you go for being a little Willie to a big Willie. But don't let someone else become a big Willie on the back of your sweat and tears and broken MFA dreams. Sigh. This week's financing with RJ's tidbit is brought to you by Starbucks. Starbucks. Have an MFA degree? We have a job for you. Wow. Starbucks, making dreams come true. So, Megan, you want to tell us about uh, tinnitus? Androgynous? Uh, I'm still reeling from that that Starbucks burn there. Um, yeah, how's your MFA degree working out for you? Well, it's making more than 12 bucks an hour, but also I'm doing this. So, one thing we kind of didn't mention is that as people have gone back and forth about whether Shakespeare had written it and all that, people have also gone back and forth about whether it's maybe intentionally like a parody, because it's just so purposefully over the top, as you're going to see. And you mentioned Quentin Tarantino, because I was equating it to, like, that bit in Kill Bill, that where Lucy Liu decapitates a guy with a sword and a geyser of blood just, like, explodes out of his neck. Like, it's just too cartoonishly gory to take seriously. In fact... Harold Bloom, I don't know if I've ever mentioned him on this show yet or not. He's a he's a literary critic and he's written like 90% of all obnoxious literary criticism ever. And if you were an English literature major worth any kind of salt, then A, you recognize that name, and B, reflexively throw up inside your mouth a little because Harold Bloom is the fucking worst. Anyway though, Harold Bloom has called Titus Andronicus a quote, poetic atrocity, an explosion of rancid irony. 
declaring, I can concede no intrinsic value to Titus Andronicus. He says it's a failure as a tragedy and would best be directed by Mel Brooks. You know, I'm going to throw out there, thinking of Shakespeare's oeuvre. Oeuvre. Ophelia's death in King Lear is way worse than any death in (laughs) this play. King Lear is another story for another day. I don't know why people are so upset. (laughs) People lose their shit. I mean, now... He says this like it's a bad thing because Harold Bloom is absolutely no fun and, as previously mentioned, the worst. But I say hell yeah because if you do view this play not as a tragedy but as, like, a parody, it's kind of fucking genius. But you'll be able to make this judgment for yourself by the end. And with that in mind, here is the play as it goes. The first thing you need to know about Titus Andronicus is that there are entirely too many characters, and most of them have extremely Roman names that I'm gonna fuck up the pronunciation of. The second thing you need to know is that if we haven't yet made this totally clear, there's a lot of really fucked violence and sexual assault and mutilation and things happening in this place, so that's just a heads up for any y'all who want a heads up about that. So here we go. We open in a Roman Senate with two brothers, Saturninus and Bassianus. Bassianus. And that's awful. So we're going to call them Saturn and Bassanus. Except Bassanus isn't actually really any easier to say over and over, so now he's Fishbutt. Bassoonist. (laughs) No, he's Fishbutt. It's too late. Saturn and Fishbutt are the two sons of the now-dead Emperor of Rome, and they're ready to have a slap fight over which of them will be the new Emperor. But then this guy Marcus steps in and he's like, nah, you both suck. The people have spoken and they want my brother Titus to be the emperor because he's a great dude and a great soldier. And he's just finished fighting this 10 year long war against the Goths. That's the uh, ancient Germans, by the way, the the Visigoths. They weren't like fighting a bunch of kids who wear black lace and pants with, with chains on them and listen to... Fuck, what do goth kids even listen to anymore? They're from the state of Hot Topic. <laughs> Hot Topic isn't even a goth thing anymore, though, now. The Senate recognizes the <laughs> senator from Hot Topic. Topic. <laughs> like, you want to talk about referencing things that are, like, 15 years old. When I think of goth music, I think of, like, Evanescence and, like, Nightwish and shit. Wake me up inside. Are goth kids even still a thing? Are you Googling if goth kids are still a thing? Uh, goth music. Goth. Kids, 2018. <laughs> that is tough, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah, nope. I guess I guess goth kids aren't a thing anymore. But uh, back to the Senate, though. Saturn and Fishbutt agree to withdraw their claims to the throne in the face of overwhelming support for Titus Andronicus, who right on cue comes sweeping into town like the big dick war hero he is, accompanied by three alive sons, two dead ones, and his captives, Tamara, T- Tamara, or Tamora... I don't know, queen of the Goths, uh, her three sons, and Aaron, a guy with a normal fucking name, thank God, who's just known as the Moor, and that's uh, M-O-O-R, and the uh, Shakespearean way of saying dude who is not white. For a guy with the least amount of info and description of who he is and what his deal is, Aaron is going to be perhaps the busiest boy in a play that is full of very busy boys doing very bad things. What a moop. A moop. <laughs> That's a deep reference. He's a mope! It's mopes! (laughs) Uh, Right now, though, Aaron is just secretly fucking the queen of the goths, which is a fantastic sentence. So, one of Titus's not-dead sons, Lucius? Lucius. Wow, really? That's the the name you're going to struggle with. Lucius. Lucius? Yeah. It could be Lucius. Lucius Fox. He's right there. Well, that... Lucy. We'll just call him Lucy. It'll be great. Lucy Fox? Lucy Fox. Lucy goes to his dad and is like, hey. You're going to confuse people. How? Lucy's a girl's name. <sighs> Lucius Malfoy. No, Fox. <laughs> he goes to his dad and is like, hey, you know what would be neat? Taking one of T- Tamara and or Tamora, Tammy, taking one of Tammy's sons and hacking him to bits to honor the ghosts of my dead brothers because holy shit, Rome is terrifying. And Titus is like, yeah, man, sounds good. And as you might imagine, Tammy is less than cool about having one of her sons hacked to bits and is like, you're the winning side, so, you know, maybe would it kill you to show some mercy? And Titus says, I mean, you know, probably wouldn't, but we'll never know, because we're going to hack to bits town. Population, your son. And they do. And also they set him on fire. 
know, just because. So Tammy and her two remaining sons, Demetrius, which, hey, I know how to say that name, because that's also the name of a character in A Midsummer Night's Dream. That's kind of weird. And, uh, Chiron, 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 C-H-I-R-O-N. Yeah, we saw a movie with that. Was it Chiron? It was Chiron. That was how they spelled it in, in the movie? Yep. Okay. She, I was going to give up and call him Chi-Chi. But uh, we can call him Chiron then. So her two sons, Demetrius and Chiron, and or Chi-Chi, vow revenge for their murdered brother. And then Titus goes home, where his daughter Lavinia, which is a name I can actually say, is waiting for him. And Titus says, while I imagine looking directly out into the audience and maybe winking as he does, that Lavinia is the best daughter ever. And it's so great how alive she is. And also not raped or mutilated. Yep. All the things you want in a child. I mean, she's not a, she's a, grownish woman. She's not like a, a child child. She's his child. Anywho, Titus is like, look, I'm flattered that y'all want me to run Rome, but I'm old and tired and have been just doing nothing but straight murder for a solid decade. So I'd like to just retire and chill for a bit. So he picks Saturn to rule Rome. And in return, Saturn says he'll marry Lavinia as a favor, because that's how that works, I suppose. Except that apparently Fishbutt was already engaged to Lavinia. And Lavinia's brothers, of which there are just too many, like, like there's at least five, uh, they agree that Fishbutt has claimed Lavinia despite Titus accusing them all of treason. You may wonder, what does Lavinia have to say about this? What does Lavinia have to say about all this? Hmm, yes, you might wonder that. Nothing. Not a damn thing. I see. Is that foreshadowing? It might be, but I'll never tell. It is. It's foreshadowing. So Fishbutt grabs Lavinia and tries to run away, and the Andronicus sons help, and Titus kills one of them in the process, and then Saturn's like, whatever, I don't want your shitty daughter anyway. I'm gonna marry this hot, disgraced, and captive former queen with a thirst for vengeance and a hatred of all things Roman, and make her the empress, because this is a good and smart thing to do. And he does. Despite this, though, Saturn is still pretty pissy about the whole thing, and Tammy's like, nah, babe, don't you worry. I'm gonna take care of them Andronicuses. And Saturn accepts this, because why not? And so he has a double wedding with him and Tammy and Fishbutt and Lavinia, and Titus is like, solid. Everyone's friends again? Let's all go hunting together, because that is a good and smart thing to do. And that is how Act 1 ends. Act 2 opens with Aaron by himself, having a nice little soliloquy with the audience, wherein he lets us in on the fact that he and Tammy do sex on the reg, and that her being empress puts him in the perfect position to destroy Rome and ruin everything for everyone. Why exactly Aaron wants this is anyone's guess. For the most part, as we'll see, Aaron seems to be an agent of utter chaos and destruction for, and please forgive me for saying this, the lulls. Aaron's a troll. And as Aaron is informing the audience of this fact, Tammy's sons, Demetrius and Chiron, wander by, arguing about which one of them is going to seduce Lavinia and steal her from Fishbutt. And Aaron grabs the two young men and says, Look, guys, Lavinia is not the kind of girl who would just cheat on her husband, and her husband is not the kind of guy who would just let his wife be seduced. So use your heads and do the smart thing. During the hunt tomorrow, murder Fishbutt, then you both get to rape Lavinia. Together! Jesus fucking Christ, Aaron. Fuck. The next morning, Titus wakes up like, I've got a good feeling about today, and goes out to hunt some panthers with Saturn, Tammy, Fishbutt, Lavinia, Demetrius, and Chiron. Just a happy gang of pals. And so the hunt commences. Tammy immediately dishes Saturn and finds Aaron burying gold. Clearly not a listener of financing with RJ. Could have learned. Should have learned. Didn't learn. Don't bury that gold, Aaron. And Tammy's like, hey, let's have forest sex. And Aaron's like, no, we talked about this. First, the downfall of Rome. Then sex. Then Fishbutt and Lavinia show up and threaten to expose Tammy's cheating ways. And then a bunch of really bad stuff happens really quickly. Demetrius and Chiron show up, stab murder Fishbutt, throw his body in a pit, and take Lavinia away to rape her as Tammy's like, okay guys, like, have fun you kids, I'm gonna go have forest sex with my secret boyfriend, what the fuck, William Q. Shakesman? And George Peel, also? I gotta stop you here. You gotta? Yeah, I'm realizing now, Fishbutt's name, Bassinius. 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 Could've went with Big Math Billy Bass. Could've went with Bulbasaur. The whole point was something that was easier to say a bunch of times. Hence fish butt. Banus. Banus. 
Well, now it's just going to confuse people. Yeah, well, you chose poorly. Yeah, well. Then Aaron lures two of Titus's multitude of sons, Quintus and Martius, out to the hole where Banus, Banus is, what are we saying we're going to call him? No, Banus the Bain- anus or still. Banus the anus's body is. and But don't confuse people. Now he's no. fish butt, Yeah, apparently. well, to where, to where that guy's body is. And he just shoves the two of them in there with him. And then he goes and grabs Saturn and is like, oh my God, look, Titus's kids murdered your brother. Oh no. And even though it makes no sense because we established like literally just a few scenes ago that Titus's sons supported Fishbutt, Bass, Anus, Bahanus to the point of committing treason. Saturn's like, yep, that sounds about right. Let's go get to executing them. And then Lavinia comes back, minus her tongue and her hands, so that she can't name Demetrius and Chiron as her attackers slash rapists. And then there's a scene, like, this has to be a parody. It just has to. Like, for the sake of my sanity and all involved. So Titus's brother, Marcus, who you may remember from the beginning. Aurelius. No, Hmm. not Marcus Andronicus. Try try to keep up. He finds Lavinia. Are you not entertained? (laughs) I would hope so. He finds Lavinia and asks her what happened, and obviously she can't answer him, and so instead he spends a wildly unnecessary amount of time describing Lavinia's lack of hands and all the blood coming from her, well, everywhere, while she just stands there and bleeds silently. He eventually manages to deduce that, oh gosh, someone must have cut her tongue out, and like, what, what the fuck? What the Fuck, this is so ghoulish, it has to have been played for laughs. And it goes on! Marcus rambles about the story of Philomel, an ancient Athenian princess who was raped and also had her tongue cut out so she couldn't name her attackers. Just, you know, it's just something that just makes him think about that. And then he's all like, ah, man, Lavinia, it's so sad that you'll never be able to sew or play the lute again because your hands are gone. And gosh, this is just going to wreck Titus when he finds out. And she's still just standing there bleeding. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, you just rub some dirt in it. I just, you, you have to imagine this on a stage where Marcus is going on about how Lavinia can't play the fucking lute anymore while she just stands there with these fresh, bloody fucking hand stumps because this just happened. Just just picture this old man reciting a laundry list of bullshit while this young woman with a bloody mouth impatiently checks her watch only to be reminded that she no longer has a watch because her hands are gone. Women can't tell time. That joke doesn't even make sense. I'm sorry, you can't follow up hand stumps with a... Wait, that's not even a stereotype about women. Women can't tell time. No, it's just a true fact. I don't understand how yeah, that's the She didn't even own a watch. She didn't have no... They don't have time X's back then. Fucking sundial on her goddamn arm. Yeah, that's the problem here. That's the end of Act 2. Uh, Act 3 opens back in the Senate. Um, you know, you could really talk without a tongue. I mean, it's hard, but it could do it. Oh, I will rip my retreat at on. I think, you know what I think? This is how Michael Caine talks. No. Michael, Mr. Wine. My, Michael Caine still uses his tongue. He just never closes his mouth all the way. I don't think he uses his tongue. Master Wine. Master Wine. Master Titus Andronicus. <laughs> For our what the problem That's is. not what Michael Caine sounds like. I'm not doing him anymore. <laughs> Um, so I don't know what the problem is. I think she could talk. Anyway, Act 3. Back to the Senate with a vengeance, electric boogaloo. Titus's sons, Quinty and Marty, are being tried for the murder of Fishbutt Bassanus Spahanus. Which, again, makes no fucking sense, because they were his friends, but maybe that's part of the parody stuff. Maybe it's supposed to be nonsensical. Who knows? Anyway, Titus begs for mercy because he's a big dick war hero. And when they deny him, he lies down on the ground and has a tantrum. (laughs) And shockingly, that doesn't help either. His other son, Lucius, who, you know, I hope you've been keeping a list here of everyone, is like, Dad, get, get up off the floor. Like, this is embarrassing. and We've got other problems. And Marcus ushers Lavinia in and Titus is just like, Oh my God, this is awful. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. How could someone do this to me? It's real nice there, Titus. They briefly attempt to communicate with Lavinia to deduce just what the hell happened to her, and it's very like, what's that, Lassie? Timmy's fallen down the well? And he was raped while he was down there? And, and they give up real quick. 
And then Aaron shows up to be like, hey, Saturn's decided to make a deal with you. For some arbitrary reason, we've decided that if one of you cuts off your hand and sends it to him, he'll let Quinty and Marty go free. And Titus is like, oh, well, shit, Lavinia had two perfectly good hands up for grabs just a little while ago. Except, no, um, he doesn't actually say that. But really, would you have been surprised if he had? Nah. <laughs> what actually happens is Titus cuts his hand off and just gives it to Aaron right then and there, which is gross. That's a, that's a biohazard. Um, and then Aaron just takes the hand to Saturn, which is even grosser. Except... Except... There you go. Took a whole year, but I trained you. Except it turns out that this was all part of Aaron's master plan of being a straight-up assbag. In fact, as he's running around with this old man's severed hand, he takes a second to tell the audience how much he just loves doing bad shit to people. It's like those old cartoons where, like, Bugs Bunny would look directly at the quote-unquote camera and say, you know, Nah, ain't I a stinker? Except I don't think he ever said it after murdering Daffy Duck and framing Porky Pig for it while holding Elmer Fudd's severed hand that I know of. Anyway, he might have. He might have. Those old cartoons were pretty out there. Soon after, a messenger comes to the Andronicus home to deliver a package. The severed heads of Quinty and Marty, along with Titus's hand, and presumably also a note that says, Haha, get fucked, sincerely Saturn, Emperor of Rome. Titus vows revenge and walks off carrying one son's head, handing the other head to Marcus, and I want to stress to you that I am not fucking making this up or in any way embellishing. He makes Lavinia carry his severed hand in her fucking teeth because she doesn't have hands. Oh, now she has one. <laughs> now she's got a hand. You know, don't you ever want to high-five somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just use your head, but <laughs> Give Lavinia a hand, everyone. Who knows, what, like, when she was off stage, if she's, like, chewing on doorknobs, she was playing candy <laughs> or not candy. And he's like, fucking Steve, I got him hands. <laughs> like, okay, Titus only has one hand now. He can only carry one son head at, at a time, but Marcus still has both his hands. <laughs> she, he know could, what? He could have carried the one son ha- head in one hand and Titus's hand <laughs> in his other hand. There was no reason to do this. Yeah, that's true. She has her burden to carry, and so he can't carry the hand and the head. He could have put the hand in the severed head, but they need at least one person like ready to fight if needed, so we don't want him to carry anything. I, I guess, so Marcus has got to have a free hand. Yeah. I just can't with this shit. And that, that's the end of Act 3. You know, I remember in Star Wars when they chop off Anakin's hand. <laughs> and he makes Padme carry it around in his her mouth. Yeah, that's why she dies. She chokes on a couple of the fingers. Oh, gr- okay, nope, gross, and awful. And can't get him out. How is it that you're worse than this play? Act 4 begins with Lucius's young son, Lucius Jr., or LJ, being freaked out. Oh, no, he's not a J. And he's a junior, though. I don't care. Not LJ. He's LJ. He's not part of my family. That's not how that works. It is. The J's. Your first name isn't R and your last name isn't J. It is. Why would I call you by your full name every time? Respect. Oh, God. LJ is freaked out about having to spend time with Auntie No Hands. Uh, They tell him he's just got to deal with it. And together, they are reading through uh, Ovid's Metamorphosis, and they land on the story of Philomel, who you'll remember Marcus mentioned earlier, the princess who was raped and had her tongue cut out. And Lavinia starts just, like, gesturing intensely at the book until Titus and co. are like, "It's, it's almost like she's trying to communicate with us. Are you saying you were raped? And I assume at this point Lavinia just, like, rolls her eyes and fucking face palms, or... Face stumps. I'm sorry. Then Marcus has a moment of inspiration, grabs a stick, puts it in Lavinia's mouth, and has her use it to write out the names of her attackers in the dirt. Demetrius and Chiron. The Andronicuses make a vengeance pact, and then set about to enacting it. But in the meantime, Tammy and Aaron have problems of their own when Tammy gives birth to a decidedly not-white baby, exposing their affair. Aaron doesn't seem that worried, though. In fact, he thinks it's pretty funny. And when Chiron freaks out about the Emperor finding out, and he yells, Thou hast undone our mother! Aaron replies, No, no. And I quote, Villain, I have done thy mother. Maybe the kid just got a suntan. (laughs) You completely trampled over the amazing sex pun that, that Shakespeare just made, but okay. 
you want to do her mother? No, I've done her. And then I'm presuming, even though it doesn't say it in the script, that he probably did, like, finger guns. Whatever. But then Demetrius wants to kill the baby, and it's not so funny anymore. Really? Maybe the baby just got a suntan? That's not even funny. Aaron grabs the baby, kills the nurse who is holding it, and runs off to a cave where he's going to raise the baby himself because Aaron's just full of fatherly, nurturing qualities, you know? He's just got so much love to give. Meanwhile, Lucius has been raising an army to dethrone Saturn because, as it turns out, people don't really like him all that much and are pretty down with the idea of Lucius being emperor. Act 5 opens with him giving a rousing speech to his army in a field somewhere, when one of his soldiers brings Aaron and the baby, who he found hiding nearby. A-plus job there, Aaron. You managed to raise the kid for a grand total of 10 minutes. And Lucius is like, whatevs, kill them both. But Aaron, who hasn't yet had to be on this end of a bad situation, is like, hey, maybe wait one second. If you promise not to kill my son, I'll give you some hot deets on all the bad shit happening to your family. And Lucius is like, mm, okay. And Aaron goes ham. He throws everyone under the bus. He tells Lucius that Demetrius and Chiron killed Fishbutt, Bassanus, Bahanus, and raped and attacked Lavinia, and that he and Tammy framed Titus's sons and tricked Titus into cutting his hand off for no reason, and that he, Aaron, was the mastermind of it all, because fuck you. And at this point, Lucius is just like, okay, holy shit, wow. But Aaron's not done yet. Lucius asks him, art thou not sorry for these heinous deeds? The Shakespearean version of like, dude, the fuck? And Aaron's response honestly deserves to be read in its full glory. This is the bit that I talked about earlier where I said, well, if this is the bit that Shakespeare wrote, then he wrote the best bit. So here you go. This is the response to here, if you want to be Lucius. Art thou not sorry? Sorry, art thou not? Okay, okay. The deeds that were heinous, art thou not sorry for them? That's good enough. I, that I had not done a thousand more. Even now I curse the day, and yet I think, few come within the compass of my curse, wherein I did not some notorious ill, as kill a man, or else devise his death, ravish a maid, or plot the way to do it. Accuse some innocent and forswear myself. Set deadly enmity between two friends. Make poor men's cattle break their necks. Set fire on barns and haystacks in the night. And bid the owners quench them with their tears. Oft I have dug up dead men from their graves. And set them upright at their dear friends' doors. Even when their sorrows almost were forgot. And have... On their skins, as on the bark of trees, have with my knife carved in Roman letters, Let not your sorrow die, though I am dead. Tut! I have done a thousand dreadful things as willingly as one would kill a fly, and nothing grieves me heartily indeed, but that I cannot do ten thousand more. In other words, I'm an unrepentant fucker. And my only regret in life is not having more time to continue being a complete and utterly horrific bastard to anything unlucky enough to step into my field of vision. I think this guy's on 4chan. <laughs> I think he might be. That's trolling hard. Yeah. So while this is happening, Titus, in the grand tradition of Shakespeare protagonists, pretends to be crazy to uh, throw everyone off their game, sending letters to the emperor addressed to the gods of justice and revenge, asking for their help. This gives Tammy the brilliant idea to go to Titus's house, disguised as revenge, and pretend like she's going to help him. So she and her sons go to Titus's house, and obviously he knows it's them, but he plays along like, Oh, hi, Revenge, and I see you brought your sons. Rape and murder. And if you think that joke was on the nose, he also adds that, wow, they super look like the queen and her kids, and really, all they're missing is a moor to complete the set. So, like, Demetrius, Chiron, and Tammy deserve whatever happens to them for being too stupid to realize that Titus was onto them. Like, for real. Tammy, as Revenge, tells Titus to get the whole family together for dinner, including his plotting a rebellion son, Lucius, and that she'll go and bring the emperor and his family to make sure they get what's coming to him. And Titus is like, sounds cool, but um, why don't you leave rape and murder here with me? And she does. That was easy. And as soon as she's gone, various members of the Andronicus family leap out of the shadows to tie Chiron and Demetrius up as Titus informs them that, uh, well, that they're going to be pie. Dude pie. And he's going to feed them to their mom. I got nothing left. 
I'm broken shell of a human being, but we're almost done. So, the final fucking scene of the play. Dinner at the Andronicus house. Tensions are high, especially between Saturn and Lucius, but hey, it's a pretty good spread. And apparently, the pie is to die for. Uh. And they get into a weird conversation about the story of a Roman general who killed his daughter after she was raped because he was sure she just wouldn't be able to live with the shame of it. Can't help but wonder if he asked for her opinion on the matter first. Saturn agrees that, yeah, I mean, that's the way you gotta do it, and Titus is like, yeah, you know, I think so too, and he fucking stabs Lavinia and kills her. Like, right, just, fuck, just there, just fucking that table, stab dead, like, god damn it. Billy B. Shakenstein, what the fuck is wrong with you? Which, incidentally, is what everyone says after watching Titus straight murder his own daughter at the dinner table. And he replies, no, 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 this is actually Chiron and Demetrius' fault because they raped her. And Saturn, who I remind you, for, for all that he's an asshole, was unaware of this, is like, well, shit, like, bring those two fuckers out. They got some explaining to do. And then, of course, we have the grand reveal that they've been here all along, in pie form. Then, and stay with me now, Titus stabs Tammy, Saturn stabs Titus, and Lucius stabs Saturn. So now everyone at the dinner table is fucking dead, except Lucius, which means he's emperor now. And Lucius is all like, I am going to make things better and heal our truly effed up country. And I'm going to start by burying Aaron up alive to his neck until he starves to death. To which Aaron basically responds with, blow me. Because he just doesn't give a single shit. And that's it! The end! That's motherfucking Titus Andronicus. Holy shit, you're welcome. No, I mean, you leave out how he buried everyone else. Oh, yeah. I mean, he buries the members of his family, but then he says, but Tammy's body gets to, like, be thrown out to be savaged by wild animals. Because that's just how they do. And Aaron's also buried chest deep. That's what I said that. Oh, you did. Yeah. I threw that out there. Oh, and Saturn. He's given a state burial. And Saturn gets a state burial. Very nice. Because he technically was the emperor. What a hero. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ugh. The end. Yep. So... You get what I mean when I say it kind of works better if it's a parody of a revenge story as opposed to a revenge story. Because it's just so completely over the top. And parts of it don't even make fucking sense. Yeah, but he cribbed the whole story. At least the whole rape thing. Well, yeah, the whole rape thing is straight from uh, 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 Ovid? Ovid? Ovid. Ovid's Metamorphosis. But I, I guess that's why he had it in the play where it's like yes this story reminds me of of its metamorphosis wink yeah that it's in the rape uh philomela she only gets her tongue tongue cut her, out. her tongue cut out her tongue cut out she gets to keep her hand yes so that's why she sews the yeah, names of her attackers on a tapestry yes but then they do the whole pie thing and then her husband turns into a nightingale no that, that, that wasn't in there no one no one turns into a bird he turned into Nightingale, which I guess is because Nightingales have a very sorrowful kind of song whether they sing, but the female Nightingales don't sing. Mm. They can't. They're mute. Mm. Kind of like when you get your tongue cut out. I know why the caged bird sings. It's because my family was murdered and I baked people into pies. <laughs> but then the drawing on the ground, he also gets from Metamorphosis, just a different book, that when Zeus rapes Io... Instead of mutilating her... God, there's so much fucking rape in these myths. Jesus. He, he turns her into a cow, and she figures, wait, I have hooves, and hooves can ride in the soil, and so she writes, Zeus raped me in the soil. And then everyone goes, man, Zeus raped a cow. That's fucked up. Yeah, they don't kill Zeus, or put him in a pie. Yeah, well... They just know what happened They, 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 they ought to have. <laughs> but now she's a moon, so... It's true. She went from a moor to a moon. She wasn't a moor. A moor. A mo- oh, a moor. Moor. <laughs> the dream of moon. So there have, surprisingly, been many stage adaptations of the play. Most of them both playing the tragedy totally straight and also being heavily edited and reworked so as not to be completely over the moon bonkers. Um, over the moon? Over the moon. An interesting example is in 1851 in England, the play was adapted by two guys named Ira Aldridge 
and CA Somerset. And it was incredibly successful and like widely considered by by critics and audiences alike to just be way better than the original play. And it's kind of the kids bop version of Titus Andronicus. I did dig around and unfortunately I can't find anything about changes that was made specifically to Titus, the title character, but Aaron is now the hero of the play. And he's only very good friends with with Tamara, T- Tamara, whatever, who is pure and chaste. And her sons, Demetrius and Chiron, only do bad things because they love their mother so much. Also, Lavinia does not get raped or mutilated. And instead of being the one instrumental to making it happen, Aaron actually saves her and stops it from happening. No one gets made into pies. And at the end, Saturn, who is the only real bad guy in this version, poisons Aaron and tries to murder his baby. Aaron saves the baby, but dies. But it's okay, because now Lavinia is going to raise his son as thanks to Aaron for saving her. Wow. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, so, to be fair, what makes this a little more interesting than just lol Victorian Brits sanitizing the ever-loving fuck out of this play is the fact that Ira Aldridge, one of the guys who I mentioned who rewrote the play, was African-American. He was originally from New York, and um, there was still, you know, slavery and such happening in the old U.S. of A. at that time. So he jumped across the pond to England as a teenager to be an actor and achieved wild success as a Shakespearean actor, which is a pretty big deal considering it was the 1850s and he was black. And while he's most famous now, you know, remembered for playing Othello, people loved this guy so much that they would have him put on whiteface, <laughs> essentially, and play Macbeth and Hamlet and King Lear. So actually, the biggest reason that they rewrote the play is because no one wanted, you know, Aldridge would play Aaron and no one wanted to see Aldridge play a bad guy. So they turned Aaron, this undeniably charismatic but unequivocally garbage person, into a hero. So there's a fun piece of trivia for you to bust out around. Theater geeks, history dorks, Shakespeare snobs, and English lit nerds. That's a quadruple threat right there. Look at that. We did that for you. Much more recently, there was a musical parody of the play, which that sounds amazing. It seemed that sounds perfect. Appropriately titled Titus Andronicus the Musical, it's framed as a traveling theater show attempting to do a serious version of the play, except there aren't enough actors to play all the characters. So one actress plays the role of both Lavinia and Aaron, and when she's Aaron, she's wearing a fake mustache. And another character plays both Saturn and Lucius, and he has to have a sword fight with himself, while the roles of Chiron and Demetrius are played by a gas can and a radio. I'm very sad that this is not a thing I can go see. You left out an important part about this musical. No. One of the musical aspects of the musical. That the actress who played Lavinia, after her tongue was cut out... Oh, yeah, shit, I did forget to say that. She sung an aria (laughs) to the tune of... Oops, Oops, I I did did it it again. again. I did forget to mention that. (laughs) Okay, you don't need to... We don't need to reenact it. (laughs) All right, I'll... (laughs) Continue. Um, The only notable film adaptation that thus far is uh, Titus, which came out in 1999 and was directed by Julie Taymor, who's most famous for directing the award-winning Broadway version of The Lion King, and second most famous for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which won the awards of most expensive Broadway play ever and most likely to injure the entire principal cast. She also directed the Beatles-ish tribute movie Across the Universe, and if you've seen that, then you've been prepped fairly well for Titus, which stars Anthony Hopkins in the title role, um, as well as well, Alan... He didn't play Black in this one? Nope. Only in uh, Othello, which we had never talked about on here, so... People might know. Now you guys know. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is in blackface in a BBC Othello special. You can go watch that. It's weird. It's also not very good. Not even just because of the blackface, but just in general. Anyway, it's got Anthony Hopkins as Titus Adronicus, Alan Cumming, Jessica Lange, Harry Lennox, and it's just fucking weird. I've seen this movie once, almost exactly eight years ago, in fact, and it's still burned into the scar tissue of my brain. The setting's interesting because it's this intentionally anachronistic, weird mishmash of, of stuff. You've got like chariots and motorcycles and togas and 1920s gangster outfits, and it follows the plot fairly closely, but then there's also 
weird Tamor shit of people turning into tigers. And also after Lavinia gets uh, de-handed, they give her twigs for hands. They jam twigs into her stumps for hands. And uh, at the dinner scene with the people pies, they dress Anthony Hopkins in like a full chef's outfit complete with the big white chef's hat. Which is fucking out there. Although you gotta love, you know, having uh, Hannibal Lecter serving people pies. <laughs> we spit on me. Good job. <laughs> Despite all those things, including the chef outfit, Titus is very much not played as a parody, but instead a stark, weird, postmodern look at violence and other things. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not a theater person, but I just do not get Julie Taymor at all. Sorry. Uh, lastly, while not an adaptation, there's a pretty great lo-fi punk band named Titus Andronicus that I'm a legitimate fan of and have been for a while. And on their first album, The Airing of Grievances, there's a song called Fear and Loathing in Mawa, New Jersey that ends with a recording of Aaron's Man, I Wish I Could Have Ruined More People's Lives speech. That is pretty dope. That's kind of all there is about that. So we've come to... That point in the episode where I'm sure you guys have, have made some kind of decision right now, and uh, we're going to make decisions, so... Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ? Titus Andronicus. Yeah? Your thoughts. Good or bad? Well, you know, I don't want to be uh, reductive like some of these Shakespeare folks who are like, this is bad, it's a bad play, and he should feel bad, but it does read like baby's first low-budget horror movie where they just want to make it as bloody and as crazy as possible. Like, it's really early Quentin Tarantino, but dialed up way past 11 to, like, 15. But if you do picture it as being directed by someone like Mel Brooks in this sort of Blazing Saddles kind of style, it could be really fucking hilarious. Horrifying, but hilarious. So, it's not good. It's not a good play. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad one either. RJ? What's up? Titus Andronicus. Yeah. Good or bad? I say good. You're judging a play that you haven't actually seen as a play. You merely read it. You haven't seen it as a play either. I saw it in my head. I mean, technically so did I. I don't know if you did. Anyway, people at the time seemed to love it. I agree with people at the time. I love it. Yeah. Yeah? You love it? I can see it on the stage now and that, you know... Globe Theater, The Rose, who the hell knows where this one was at. I didn't have the time to research that. Actually, no, I did. It was everywhere. Because (laughs) people really liked it. They traveled around. People couldn't get enough of this shit. It's a spectacle. It's making fun of Romans. Romans were violent. And revenge is good. I mean, think about it. Revenge is good. RJ, 2018. (laughs) These people had boring lives. They get to go to the theater. They get to see some good action. All right. Yeah, they think all these people had to come. And all these royals. Bad people. Not commoners. It's all these royals killing each other, raping each other, cooking each other, eating each other. Fooey. Oh, them crazy royals. Yeah. What will they get up to next? Probably eat, rape, kill. In that order, most likely. So that'll about do it on this very special episode of Oh No, Lit Class. Whether you've listened to us for this whole year or you're just coming on now. If you're just coming on now, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. The rest of it is pretty much just like this. Keep on coming. Keep on, keep on coming in the free world. <laughs> we thank you. And we uh, say, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate and review us. Follow us on Twitter at Ono Lit Class Pod. Like us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. We are a part of the Braintrust Brothers Network. And you can find them at braintrustbros.com. And at braintrustbros on Twitter. And there's a whole lot of other good-ass shows on the network along with us, like Field of Screams and Banana Splits, and more new shows coming soon as well. One of those shows is today's Pod Pals Play Comics Podcast. Comics are weird. Video games, also weird, maybe. Kind of hard, too, if you're me. I don't know. I might just be bad at video games. But anyway, on Play Comics, the host Chris takes you through a particular comic and the video games thereof. The most recent one I think he did was about Little Nemo, which has amazing uh, comics and a very, very weird movie. So give them a listen and welcome to our terrible, terrible little family. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, hey, maybe I should see what the Sargam Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage because you didn't know who half the characters were? 
Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris. In each episode, I take a look at video games based on comic book properties and how well they stick to that source material. So, whether you know the comics and want to actually learn how these games work, or know the games and want to know what the hell is going on, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com, the Brain Trust Bros Network, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You listen to our show everywhere on every app at onolitclass.com and hidden beneath the baseboards of your basement, making that creaking sound. That's actually us trying to deliver the podcast to you. You just need to bend your ear down real close. Uh, thank you, as always, to Best Day for our theme song. You can listen to more of his music at soundcloud.com slash best-day. People have been telling me that they think our intro is a, a banger, so... There's plenty more where that came from on his site. Our next episode will be on February 15th. And uh, I think that covers everything. So, again, thank you for, for listening and look forward to at least another year of this. Of us being on our bullshit. Unless, of course, we're kidnapped and murdered by Jigsaw, as previously stated. But until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Don't stick your penis in an electrical socket. Thank you. Wait, how would you get your penis in an electrical socket? Some people got thinner ones than others. It's not an affliction I have personally. Mine's electrical outlet safe. This is getting cut. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Brain Trust Brothers Network. For more information about this podcast or others, visit braintrustbros.com.